a seemingly average church in the great Midwest of America, but also the secret home of Superpastor, a strange being from the planet Texas. Years ago, only equipped with a leather-bound pilot and a family of five. Whenever his super pastor senses are tingling and someone needs help within the church, it's super pastor to save the day. Super lighted, super sound, able to run auditorium sound with his super hearing. Super pastor can drive. He can open the door. He can even parallel park. Able to lift the church bus up, up, and over his head. Disguised as mild mannered master communicator Mark Hoover, he fights a never ending battle for truth, justice, and the Christian way. Able to hold small babies in a single grasp, faster than a speeding church bus. Is there anything Super Pastor can't do? All I can say is don't believe everything you see on TV, all right? And as I watched that video, if you wonder how I went from average Joe to superhero, the answer is in the old Beatles song with a little help from my friends and the, the techies here at Messiah. But I want to talk to you a little bit about that topic today, average Joe to superhero. We're going to think about superheroes not too long ago and actually even saw something in the paper about superheroes yesterday. What makes a superhero? Well, I grew up watching uh, Superman and Batman on TV, and I thought about this for a little while. You know, both those guys were just ordinary people who found something in life, a cause in life that was bigger than they were, and then there was a power that acted upon them that was stronger than they were. Now, all that stuff in the, in the movies and in the books is all fiction. I, I really think it comes from a psychology that deep inside of us, we have a longing for something that is bigger than we are, longing to do something that's, that's outside of our own scope, our own realm. But re in reality, there are no Clark Kents who become Superman or Bruce Waynes who become Batman. It's all fiction. But it is possible for you to live the life of a superhero. And I want to talk to you about that today. Somebody will say, well, Mark, I, my ego doesn't really call for that. But it isn't a matter of ego. It's a matter of reaching beyond yourself to doing something that lasts and will make a difference long after you're gone. I'd like to take you back in time about 2,500 years ago for, to a, the story of a man who went from being an average Joe to a superhero. His name is Nehemiah, and there is a book in the Bible that bears his name. In fact, if you can find that book, we'll spend most of our time in it this morning. Nehemiah was a man who had a, an ethnic identity, that of being a Jew. But he really didn't feel that ethnic identity uh, the way that perhaps people before him in generations uh, before him had felt. Because Nehemiah was a captured Slave. His people were in captivity. The Israelites had been captured this time by the Persians. And Nehemiah had kind of worked his way up through the ranks, living as a Jew by identity, but in the lifestyle of a Persian. 
And life had been good to Nehemiah. God had been good to Nehemiah is a much better way of saying it. So that by the time the book opens, we find Nehemiah living in Persia with an incredibly good job. He is the cupbearer to the most important man in the world. Now, when I say cupbearer, I hope you didn't think that Nehemiah had the job of being a butler, that he was just a servant in the house. Because, see, Persian kings were very afraid, as many kings were afraid in old days, of being poisoned. So that person who was the last touch before the food or the drink got into the mouth of the king was the man that the king trusted more than anybody else in the kingdom. When the king reached out to take a cup of wine from Nehemiah or a plate of food, he put his life in Nehemiah's hands. That was tantamount to saying that Nehemiah was the most trusted man in the kingdom. So much so that we could say that today, that Nehemiah's job was a lot more like being the chief of staff to the president than being a servant in the house of, a, of an important person or potentate. He was a very important guy. He had, I'm sure, the best of clothes. He lived in a nice home. By today's standards, we would say he had a four-car garage, and he had nice automobiles in the garages. He was living the good life. He had a comfortable job, and his boss, the king, loved him. Nehemiah was such a happy person that when he walked into the presence of the king, the king was immediately cheered. Have you ever met somebody like that, that when they just walk up to you, you can't, you're just so glad to see them coming because every time they're around you, they just make you smile. I had that happen at the end of the early service. Several people walked up to me and, and there was a lady who walked up and she's just got the most infectious smile. It's just like it lights up the room. And that's how Nehemiah was. So you think about where he is. He's not living in his own land, but he's living pretty good. He's got a comfortable job. He's got plenty of money. His boss loves him. He's completely protected. Nobody can hassle him. Nobody can jerk him around. He's living the good life. And if he'd stayed that way, we would have, we've never known about him. There never would have been a book in the Bible called Nehemiah because there are a lot of important people through history. But there was something that happened in Nehemiah's life that, that took him out of that comfort zone and turned him from average Joe to the superhero that we have in the Bible before us today. And I don't know if you'll call this a sermon or not, but I'd like to walk you through that transition about how Nehemiah went from being an average person to a superhero. Now, running on a parallel track is the idea that we're in a series of messages called Connect. And it's all about our church. We are relaunching our church. God has given us a mission, a purpose, to help people make an eternal connection with Jesus Christ and with others, to grow strong in order to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. We are immersing ourselves in the language and the reality of that purpose statement. And we saw how that we want to connect up with God through worship and prayer, and God connects down to us through His Word and through the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk today about that inward connection, though, that we make because we reach in and we make a connection with community, and then we reach out and make a connection with the rest of the world. That's, it's that part of our purpose statement that takes somebody from average Joe to superhero. So while I'm talking about Nehemiah, I'd like for you to be thinking about what this has to say about you and me and where we are in the life of this great church. Now, when you go to chapter 1, something happens in Nehemiah's life that takes him out of his comfort zone. He gets a visit. The visitor is his brother and some, some of his friends who have come all the way from Judah to Persia to reconnect with Nehemiah. 
And, and while they are there, Nehemiah, this is in chapter 1, Nehemiah asked them how things are going. And in verse 3, the Bible said, they said to me, things are not going well. Now, did you catch that? Let's just stop there for a moment and hear that. Let, let that come into our ear. Things are not going well. Now, a lot of us here today, we have our issues and struggles in life. But to be honest, we're a lot like Nehemiah. We, we have reasonably good jobs, and we live in nice houses, and we, you know, people like us. And we're married to not a perfect mate, but we're married to somebody who loves us. And we have kids that are, they're not perfect kids, but they're good kids, and we haven't decided to kill them yet. And, and you know, you've got, you, you got parents that they're not perfect parents, but, you, you know, you get along. That's how a lot of us walked in here today. We, we don't have perfect lives. We may have our struggles from day to day, but really when it gets right down to it, we're pretty much like Nehemiah. And we could rock along like that until Jesus comes and live pretty ordinary lives. But I really believe that if we are careful and if our ear is attuned, we get a message from the outside world, people outside the church, outside of Christ people that we live around, people that we work with, people in our family. And the word gets to us, things are not going well. Do you feel it like I feel it? You talk to people, you see people, they're angry, they're unhappy, they're struggling, they can't keep their marriages together. It's like they, 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 life is just so painful. They're nice people and we like them. It's just that they don't have what they need to make the connection with God and with other people who love God. But we get the word from the outside, things are not going well. So how do we react to that? Well, oftentimes we react to that by going to church and listening to a man standing up on a platform telling us that things are not going well in the outside world. And we start feeling real sad about it. And that's what happened with Nehemiah because if you look at the end of chapter 1, his response in verse 4, he said, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed. Nehemiah had an internal, emotional, visceral reaction to the message that things we're going bad. These guys who came to talk to him, they said, you know, back home in Jerusalem, the city's just in rubble. The walls have all fallen down and, and it's, it's just trash and junk everywhere. And the people that are there, they don't have any protection from their enemies. Marauders can come over those broken walls and, and take, their, take their family and take their livestock. and take. It's just terrible, Nehemiah. And when Nehemiah heard that, he sat down and he cried and he wept and he prayed. All of which are normal and good reactions for a Christian. But if it had stopped there, are you hearing me today? If it had stopped there, if Nehemiah had just felt bad when he heard that things were not going well out there, if he had prayed and fasted and done all those good things, if it had stopped there, it wouldn't have made any difference. Because see, there, there, there is a point, there is a line in the sand between um, reacting emotionally to the needs of people and then stepping across that line and doing something about it. We Christians in the 21st century, we are the absolute best about crying about stuff. We cry about what, you know, Ten Commandments have been taken out of public life. And we cry about abortion. And we cry about some of the social blights that, that, that deal so much damage to our culture. We cry about these things. 
But the question is, do we ever take a step across the line to begin to help the people who are wrestling with all those issues? So Nehemiah responded like many of us in chapter 1. The Bible says he sat down, he wept. For days he mourned and fasted and prayed. But something happens between chapter 1 and chapter 2 because something really big transpires in Nehemiah's life. He goes in to do his work in the palace. And uh, he goes in to see the king. And the king asked him, this is in verse 2, Why are you so sad? You, You aren't sick, are you? You look like a man with deep troubles. Then, Nehemiah says, I was badly frightened. Now, we know from the book of Esther, as well as this book, that it was not a smart idea to do anything in the presence of a Persian king that did not make him happy. So when Nehemiah walks in, he thinks he has, he thinks he has masked his feelings. He feels like he's got his happy face on. But there are people in our lives who know us so well, right, that we can put on our happy face and they can see through it and they know something is wrong. And Nehemiah walks in, you know, he's, he's cheerful, he's talking to the king, and the king says, Nehemiah, I see through you, something is not right. Are you sick? And that's when Nehemiah summoned his courage, and look at what happened next. I replied, verse 3, long live the king. Why shouldn't I be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been burned down. The king asked, well, well how can I help you? With a prayer... To the God of heaven, I replied, if it please your majesty, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, look at this, send me to rebuild the city. Well, guys and ladies right there, you've got it. If you want to know how to go from average Joe to superhero and for your life to make a difference and count, there you have it. It's just right there. Something happened. There was a toggle switch that flipped in Nehemiah's life because in chapter 1, he was saying, I'm sorry, this makes me feel bad. I'm sad about it. I'm going to sit down and cry. But in chapter 2, he says to the king, send me to rebuild the wall. It was like saying, I'm not going to depend on somebody else. I don't think somebody ought to do something about this. He was saying, send me to rebuild the wall. Well, what I want to do now is I'd like to take you to chapter 3 in the book of Nehemiah because what we see here is a great story of who helped in this great project. There, Nehemiah quickly understood that there was no way that he could rebuild the walls all by himself. If it was going to happen, he was going to have to have a great team of people. In fact, everybody in the city of Jerusalem was going to have to get actively engaged in helping build the city. Now, here at Messiah, you have a pastor, you have a staff, and you have a team of dedicated people who are lay people here. But we have to realize something today very clearly. If we're going to really make a substantive difference in our world, everybody here has to engage. Just like Nehemiah needed to engage everybody in his city, everybody here in this great ministry needs to engage in doing something to help build the walls. I'm just really interested in this, and I don't know if this will interest you. I hope it will. Well, I'll just spend a few minutes here today. I'd like to just walk you through the story of seeing who helped and maybe even who didn't help. Uh, I find it in verse 1 that Elisha, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild. They dedicated, they set up the doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred. So first off, it would be like the, the staff of the church got engaged. Nehemiah came back, he challenged the leadership there, and they were the first ones to accept, set the example. Now, verse 3. I love this. The fish gate was built by the sons of Hassanah. They did the whole thing. 
laid the beams, hung the doors, put the bolts and the bars in place. Now, there was one particular family back in Jerusalem that when Nehemiah came to town and said, we're going to build this thing back up, there was one family, the family of Hassanah, who said, we're ready to go. And they, the Bible said, they built the whole thing. They took their section and did all the work in that particular section. I've been pastor now for all my adult life, which is getting close to 30 years. One of the things that I've watched is that there are just some people in the church that want to do the whole thing. I mean, they just, whatever ministries are there, they want to engage. And they're just ready to step up. Is it Judgment House? Put me down. Is it worship music? Put me down. Is it watching the nursery, keeping the nursery? Put me down. Just whatever's going on, I want to be part of that. Not all of us are tuned to that key, but some of us are. And if you're like that here today, we don't want you to get burned out at Messiah. We don't want to push you past your point of what you're able to do. But at the same time, we recognize the fact that there are some people that just love their church and love the ministry so much, they want to be engaged in every aspect. What I want you to know is that you have a history in the Bible of people just like you. Whatever this family was or whatever was in their background, the Bible said simply, they did the whole thing. Now, one more thing I'll find in verse 4 is that there were some guys who were the sons and grandsons of other people. Why do you think that God put this in, that they were the sons and grandsons of men who are named? I think it's because you find any church ministry, and one of the real earmarks of God's work is that there will be generations of people who are doing the work of God. I look around this room today, and I see some of you who are sons and daughters of people who are still working or who worked in this ministry in previous generation. Some of you are third and even fourth generation members of this worship service, or members of this church. And so that's, a, that's, a, that's an awesome thing to see there. Now, in verse 5, there's something interesting. I don't know that I know the answer to it. The Bible says, next were the people from Tekoa, though their leaders refused to help. Well, what's going on there? There are some people from a town not too far from Jerusalem named Tekoa. And the people of the town showed up, but their leaders said, we're not going to do anything. Why not? Well, maybe they were too big to help. Maybe they were too big, too important to engage. Or it could be that this work that Nehemiah was leading the people to do was a controversial thing. And they didn't want to be involved with anything that might be controversial that might jeopardize their position of leadership. We don't know what it was. It was just whatever they refused to help. Now, Skip down, if you will, please, to verse 8. Next, the Bible says, was Uziel, a goldsmith by trade, who also worked on the wall. Beyond him was Hananiah, a manufacturer of perfumes. Again, why does the Holy Spirit put this in? Both of these guys had high-end jobs. Both of them were very skilled. Both of them were entrepreneurs. They were very wealthy guys. They had big businesses going on. So when Nehemiah came to town and said, look, everybody needs to get out your trowel and get out some mud and we're going to put these walls back together, they could have said, we're too big to do that. Our jobs are too important. We can't stoop to do that. But yet they did. And I know that even here in this great church, there are some of you that have very important responsibilities in the world. You're, you're at the top of your game. You're at the top of your profession. And for you to, to stop and dedicate a day of your week to greet people as they come into the house of worship or to, to take care of the nursery and watch babies so that the rest of us can sit in here in quietness or to go back in G-Force and to work with the kids. 
That takes, that takes some humility. But what happened with these guys is so interesting. Even though they were goldsmiths and they had a perfume business, they said, you know what? Doing God's work is so important. If what God needs is some guys to leave their high-end jobs for a few hours and come and work on this wall, that's what we're willing to do. And the irony is, the only reason you know their names is that they did that. Because there are no other goldsmiths that I know of during this time who have their names in the Bible. Just this guy who left what he did for a while to come do the work of God. All right, let's go a little bit further. Next in verse 10, there was a guy named Jediah who repaired the wall beside his own house. I like that. Here was a guy whose particular job on the, on the, on the, on the project was fixing the wall, doing the work of the wall that was beside his own house. Now I want to draw a parallel for just a few moments for you and me. Because here's the thing. When you and I help build up this body, when we help do the work of this church, we are positively influencing our own home. If you want to do something that has a positive bearing on your family, on your children, then do something for the work of Christ. There are some here today, and what you do, you love to come to worship, but you really don't engage in the work. You're teaching your children something. What you're teaching them is that it's okay to enjoy church for a few moments on Sunday morning, but don't let it take any of your serious time. And there are those who have the idea, well, you know what, I, I can be sort of a free agent here. I can like the church when it makes me happy. I can diss the church when it makes, makes me unhappy. I want to tell you something. You can do that if you want to, but it's going to have a bearing on your kids, and it's going to have a bearing on your family for generations. Here was a guy who realized that what he did on the wall impacted the security and the well-being of his family, and he wound up working on the section that was right next to his house. Let's go a step further in the text here. There was a guy in verse 12 named Shalom. Now, Shalom was probably the vice mayor of Jerusalem. But Shalom had a problem, or at least it would have been considered a problem in, in his era of time. Because obviously it was an honor for a man to have his sons and his grandsons work on the wall there beside him. But everybody said, poor Shalom. He doesn't have any sons. All he has are daughters. Now, with that in mind, I want you to read verse 12. Shalom, son of Halahesh, and his daughters repaired the next section. His daughters were tool belt divas. I mean, they got on the tool belts and they went out and they worked on the wall. I'm glad to tell you today that this is not a boys club. This is a place, the church of Jesus Christ is a place where men and women work side by side together in the work of the Almighty God. I love that part. Don't you like that, ladies? Aren't you glad God put that in the Bible? Well, I had to think long and hard before I decided to put this last one in here. But it's in the Bible. Verse 14, the dung gate was repaired by Malkijah. Now, I'm sure there, in any other situation, there's any other situation, there, are, there is in our church some jobs that probably people do not want to do. I mean, th this was a job, no doubt, that there were people that thought, you know, put me someplace else. Don't, don't put me on the dung gate of the city of Jerusalem. 
There were all kinds of gates where people could work. There was the north gate, the south gate, the palace gate, the fish gate, the princess gate. There were all kinds of gates around the city. People could have said, put me any place, but don't put me on the dung gate. There was a reason why this gate was called the dung gate. There was a trash heap right below the gate, and I'm sure it was not the most appetizing place to be. It was the job that people probably did not want. But there was one guy who said, you know what, I'm willing to take that on. Put me there. What's interesting about this is that the Bible records his name because he is the one who built that gate. And just like I said a few moments ago here at Messiah, there are jobs, there are ministries here that will get you a lot of attention. There are ministries here that will cause people to notice you. There are ministries here that are just sort of fun to do. But I'm honest enough with you to tell you there are a few things here, there are a few ministries here that uh, maybe won't get you the most attention. And maybe you won't get the accolades. (laughs) Or sometime it, it can be a lightning rod ministry so that you wind up getting some attention that you don't want. And that's just how it is in a church. I'm telling it how it is. This is for real people who want to do real things and make a real difference. I mean, superheroes don't always have an easy life. There are some ministries here that could be, let us say in the euphemism of our time, it could be challenging, could have a few issues. But take yourself back in time 2,500 years and suppose that nobody wants to do the job of the dung gate. I'll do the fish gate. I'll do the palace gate. I'll do the north gate. I'll do the golden gate. But don't make me do the dung gate. And suppose it never gets done. Well, what are they doing? They're building walls to fortify the city. This is their protection. This is their future. If there is a breach at the dung gate, nothing else matters because the enemy will just come in on that spot. I'm thankful that there were some people who were willing to do the difficult stuff. And I, I won't give you the rewards that you will earn. The Lord will give you the rewards. But i got to tell you, as pastor of this church... I think the people I appreciate the most are those who work in the tough spots. The people whose names you may not know, the people whose faces you may not see, but they work and they do the things that are difficult, but they do it because they love the Lord. Well, were there problems in the book of Nehemiah? Oh yeah, Nehemiah had problems all the way through. Some people have the idea that when you serve God, you're just going to float along, but I got to tell you, it's just the opposite. At the moment when you step across that line from emotional reaction to real reaction, you're going to engage the enemy. Satan doesn't care as long as you don't get serious about reaching people who need the Lord. In the moment you do, if you walk across that line, you're going to catch some heat. And Nehemiah did. There were a couple of guys named Sam Ballard and Tobiah who were evidently regional supervisors. And they were pretty content with the city lying in ruins. They were able to take care of their business with no problems. It didn't matter to them that the walls were down, that there was rubble everywhere. They were leaders there and they were doing the job. But when Nehemiah came to town and showed up that he was going to do something different to help people, they didn't like it a bit. And they set out to damage Nehemiah and to hurt him no matter what he did. In verse 19 of chapter 2, the Bible says, When Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. So they made fun of them. Now in chapter 4, we find that they flew into a rage in verse 1. And they, they began to mock Nehemiah and the Jews in front of everybody else. In chapter 4, verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse even if a fox walked along the top of it. It's hard sometimes to serve the Lord 
because people will say things about you that are unkind and it will hurt. And, and worse than that, sometimes the problems happen even from within because in chapter 5, there was conflict because the people were charging each other too much interest. And even the people that Nehemiah was depending on began to give difficulty. And then they lied on Nehemiah. This is in chapter 6, verse 4. Uh, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 6. Uh, they began to make up stories about Nehemiah. Uh, Geshem tells me everywhere that he goes, that he hears that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and this is why you are building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets to prophesy about you in Jerusalem, saying, look, there is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king, so I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. When they try upfront, outright conflict with Nehemiah, it doesn't work. So then they begin to make up stories about him, and they begin to act as if he is trying to take authority away from the king of Persia, the very king who sent Nehemiah there. Nehemiah responded to them in verse 8. My reply was, you know you're lying. There's no truth in any part of your story. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could break our resolve and stop the work. So I prayed for the strength to continue the work. And when you get down to verse 15 of chapter 6, the Bible says, So on October 2nd, the wall was finally finished, just 52 days after we had begun. Quite a story, isn't it? An average ordinary guy who gets a vision and a purpose that's bigger than himself and is willing to step across the line and leave his comfort zone to take on a job that's going to cause him a lot of difficulty, but at the end of the day, the job gets done. Now, as I prepared to bring this message to you, one of the things that I did was to read and reread the book of Nehemiah. I sat down one morning on my deck and just read through the book nonstop. Reading about this man leaving his comfort zone, getting engaged in a, in a work that was bigger than himself, going through all the trials and difficulties. And I began to ask myself, what would cause a man like Nehemiah to leave a cushy, comfortable job and take on that responsibility? And by the same token, what would cause a person here at Messiah to get out of your comfort zone? to take a busy schedule that's already filled with nice things and to commit part of your time to the work of this church. What would cause a guy like Nehemiah to do what he did? Well, I'm sure he, he had the joy of seeing the wall go up. And he had the joy of working with other people who were part of the same purpose. But I think Nehemiah had a greater vision. Nehemiah knew a lot of prophecy. And whether he knew it specifically or not, I think he had a, an idea that something like this might happen. About 500 years after Nehemiah worked on these walls, a man would climb on the back of a donkey one day and ride through one of those gates that Nehemiah and his men and ladies had put together. As people would cry out, Hosanna. It tickled me to think today, that when the king, when Jesus came, Nehemiah's work was there to greet him. And that is why you leave your comfort zone and get engaged in this ministry. And why you take the onslaught of Satan and the difficulty and the criticism and the, sometimes the intangible press that you can't always identify. That is why you do all these things. Because you know you are investing your life in stuff that will matter when the king gets here. When Jesus comes. 
I want to just take a few moments to share with you some verses that we'll tack on to the end of this message that I think will mean a whole lot to all of us who want to get engaged. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. This is in the Amplified Version. The Bible says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be, st- be firm, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, always being superior, excelling, doing more than enough in the service of the Lord, knowing and being continually aware that your labor in the Lord is not futile. It is never wasted or to no purpose. Anything you do for Jesus Christ and the ministry of this church will be for the purpose and the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, in Romans chapter 12, verse 5, the Bible says in verse 11, Never be lazy in your work, but serve the Lord enthusiastically. Be glad for all God is planning for you. As pastor this morning, I look out over this group and looked out over the group in the early service. And it's exciting because I see some of you who've been here 40 years. And I see some of you who haven't been here 40 days yet. But you're here. And this is your church home. And you're engaged. And you love this place. What I want you to know is that God is planning something for you here. For the next two weeks, we're going to be exploring the ministry opportunities of this church. The great opportunities to serve in this place. And there are all kinds of ways to serve the Lord here. I mean, if you, like, if you like kids' ministries, we have kids' ministries. If you like ladies' ministries, we have ladies' ministries. If you like small groups, we have small groups. If you like athletics, we have athletics. If you like technical stuff, as you saw from the video, we have technical stuff. Whatever it is that you love to do, there is a place here for you, and God is planning something for you to do in this ministry. Do you love music? Do you love worship? Whatever it is that you love, God is creating a place for you in this ministry. And the challenge for you and me is to walk across that line and engage. And once we walk across that line and engage to realize that it's not playing and there are going to be difficulties and there are going to be challenges and yes, there may even be opposition and every once in a while there's a dung gate to work on. But there is that passion that says, I'm excited about what God is planning for me. God is planning something for you. Whether you've been here 40 years or 40 minutes, God is planning something for you. Be excited about what God is planning for you. Because the greatest days are just ahead. Let us pray.